Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. As always, I'm your host, Thomas, and I'm so grateful to have you here. Tonight, Elizabeth will be guiding you through the cobblestone streets and tree-lined squares of the historic city centre of Bordeaux in southern France. This is the first installment in a two-part tour through this ancient and beautiful city. The tour will continue in our next episode on Wednesday night this week. But they're both able to stand alone too, so don't feel like you need to stay awake and hear this one in full to be able to enjoy the next and you can always pick up where you left off tomorrow night. Before we begin, I'd like to say a big thank you to our wonderful friends at Helix Sleep. As one of our most long-term sponsors, I'm always mentioning Helix to anyone asking for mattress recommendations, and I do so with confidence because I've heard from a number of you wonderful listeners that have purchased a Helix mattress and your feedback is consistently full of positivity and gratitude. So if you want the best sleep possible, you have to check out helixsleep.com slash getsleepy. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, and their online sleep quiz makes it easy to find the ideal one for you. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night risk-free trial where you can try out your new Helix mattress. And if you decide it's not the best fit, you're welcome to return it for a full refund. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash getsleepy. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash getsleepy. With Helix, better sleep starts now. So, let's enjoy a moment now to ease into the peace and comfort of bed. I want you to know that whatever you're feeling right now, you are not alone. Of course, I sincerely hope that you're feeling content, at ease, and restful. But if you're not, that's okay. Just remember that this time right here is for you to be true and authentic to yourself. Allow yourself to feel. Allow yourself to reflect 
if it feels right to do so. And as you go through that process, also allow yourself to release. Release anything that is uncomfortable, letting a gradual lightness envelop your body and mind. We all try our best to be strong and to project our best selves to the world around us. But it's also important to let our guard down once in a while, to acknowledge anything that might be weighing on us, and to release any tension it could be causing us to hold. Now is 100% your time to feel at ease with exactly who you are and how you're feeling. And I want you to know that you can rest and recharge, comfortable in the knowledge that you are not alone. So now, as you let go of tension and discomfort, just let your eyes fall closed and picture yourself relaxing in a comfortable seat of a gently gliding tram. You're gazing out the window towards people milling along the picturesque riverfront of one of the loveliest cities you've had the good fortune to visit. This is where our story begins. Day in the city of Bordeaux in southwestern France. You're sitting in a padded seat, riding comfortably on a sleek modern tram. The tram is gliding alongside a river that sparkles in the sun. You know that many of your fellow riders are headed to work or school, but you're on your way to something different, a voyage of discovery of sorts. You're headed to take a sightseeing tour through the oldest portion of this historic Riverport town. With curiosity, you allow your gaze to sweep across the vibrant scene outside the window next to you. Your eyes roam over the people, strolling a wide path along the riverbank on your left. 
Then you turn to contemplate the elegant old city buildings to your right. As you watch, the tram pulls smoothly to a stop. You stand up and move towards the exit. The doors open and you step off onto the pavement. As you do so, you feel that you're turning away from the present and towards the past. Specifically, you're turning towards the gate to the old city centre and its remnants of the Middle Ages. You're looking towards a break in the stately buildings that line the riverfront. In the gap, set a little farther back, looms a building that reminds you of an unusually narrow fairy tale castle. A solid looking stone edifice rises up, topped by several round spires and something like a bell tower that soars above the skyline. A building like this might not be the first thing that comes to mind when modern visitors think of the word gate. But this beautiful structure is in fact a medieval gatehouse. In the middle of the building is an opening wide enough for a car to pass through, if that were allowed, or a chariot. But people are only allowed through on foot these days. This is Port Cayo. This old gatehouse was once set into heavy walls that ringed the city in the Middle Ages. The walls are long gone, taken down centuries ago to open up the town, but the gatehouse remains. Behind you, another tram stops, discharges a handful of passengers, and then slides off along the tracks. You turn to watch it go. The grand buildings behind you are reflected in its curved, streamlined windows for a moment before blurring as the tram picks up speed. Feeling like you're walking into a bygone era, you move away from the streetcar stop and towards the castle-like gate, ready to walk through. This old riverfront city has been continually inhabited since at least the Stone Age. It's located deep in what's now the southwest of France, but it wasn't always part of that country. In the time of ancient Rome, the Romans controlled the town, and it served as a commercial outpost of the Roman Empire 
In those times, it was known as Burtigala. Later, in the Middle Ages, the city was part of an independent region ruled by dukes and duchesses. In the 12th century, a young duchess named Eleanor of Aquitaine inherited the region. Eleanor married the French king, and her lands briefly became part of France. After 15 years, though, the royal couple split. Eleanor promptly got remarried, this time to the heir to the English throne. This made Bordeaux a possession of the King of England, and so it remained for three centuries before finally becoming French once and for all in the late Middle Ages. This history is on your mind as you step into the momentary shadow of the passage through the gatehouse. Here, in its great archway, seems like you can almost feel the past around you. The thick walls block out the sun. The old stone seems to see coolness from its depths, as impenetrable to the sun's rays as it once was to enemy weapons. And then the moment passes. You step once more out into the bright sun, but this time on the medieval side of the gate. It is here that you are to meet your guide. All you know about him is his name, Jean-Marc. You look round, blinking slightly, even though you are only in the archway for a moment. You spot a man of indeterminate age, holding a sign with your name handwritten on it, in careful letters. You move towards him and he greets you warmly. Welcome to the Middle Ages, he says, with a hint of a smile, and you're struck by the harmony of his greeting with your thoughts in this moment. Jean-Marc sweeps his arm upwards indicate the Port Caillot beside you and begins to tell the tale of his city. You learn that the gatehouse dates to the 1490s. It was built to celebrate a military victory in Italy by the French king. Soon after Bordeaux had finally come under control of the French monarchy. As Jean-Marc weaves the tale, you warm to his enthusiasm for this land and its history. You find yourself listening as much to the tone 
and cadence of the story as to its details. Swept away in the grand narrative of kings and queens, battles and victories, the rise and fall of different factions and powers that be. And through it all remained the city itself, sometimes altered, sometimes damaged, but it was always left standing after the rest fell from power or passed from grace. Jean-Marc asks then if you'd like to go up inside the gatehouse, and you agree. He shows you to a little entrance within the arch and motions for you to enter, telling you it's best enjoyed on your own. You accept his advice and mount the staircase by yourself. They take you up to the first floor of the building, where you enter a small museum. Apart from the attendant at the counter, who greets you in the slightly hushed tones of a librarian, or perhaps a nun, you're the only one here. Your footsteps echo slightly as you walk across the floor to view the few exhibits. You learn about the regional stone quarries and stoneworking that gave rise to the city's buildings over the centuries. And you view a short film that brings to life the epic medieval battles that Jean-Marc described for you with such feeling. Then, turning, you make your way to another set of steps, which will lead you to the top of the tower. You climb slowly, a bit in awe at being within these ancient walls, a reverence made sharper and more poignant by your near aloneness in this fortress. And you realize that your guide knew what he was doing when he encouraged you to explore this monument by yourself. You trail your fingers along the wall beside you, savoring its faintly dusty feeling. As you brush your fingertips on this ancient wall, you feel like you're snatching a fleeting touch of a long-lost past. Yet at the same time, its touch feels so very solidly real that you catch your breath. A great sense of connection to the grand swathe of human history floods into you and you breathe in deeply the mildly musty scent of the tower around you. You close your eyes and breathe out again slowly 
images of the ages swirling through your mind. And then you begin to climb again. Another step and you've reached the top, a largely bare garret, a simple and unfurnished room beneath the roof. Here you can gaze out at the city and the river below. You look out the window at the waters of the river flowing along, flowing just as they flowed hundreds of years ago when this gatehouse was first built. You wonder what life was like for the guards who once looked upon this same view from this same space so long ago. Below you and slightly off to the side, Bordeaux's oldest and most famous bridge spans the waters. Called the Pont de Pierre or the Bridge of Stone, it was built under the Emperor Napoleon. Up until then, people who wanted to get to the other side of the river had to cross by boat. It's an elegant, old stone bridge supported by picturesque arches. It's a far cry from the supermodern suspension bridge that crosses the river on the other side of town. You admire its beauty and remember hearing it has the same number of arches as there are letters in Napoleon's full name, Napoleon Bonaparte. You count them. One, two, three, four, all the way up to seventeen. Yes, it's true. You smile to yourself. You contemplate how very lucky you are to be here, now, witnessing such loveliness, and you slowly begin to make your way down again. You breathe in the ever so vaguely dust-scented air of the old stairway with great appreciation. Then you emerge into daylight once more, stepping slowly out the door of this charmed structure and back into the sunshine. You allow its warm rays to bring you slowly back from the mysteries within and to immerse you again in the energy of the city that swirls around you. Jean-Marc is there, waiting for you. He pauses a moment, as if waiting for you to come all the way back to the present. Then he begins to share more about this piece of history that you've just climbed. 
A niche over the gatehouse entrance contains a statue of the French king, whose triumph it commemorates, he tells you. His dreamy tone reflects his deep love of this town and its past. You don't pay attention to the king's name. Instead, preferring to focus on the way Jean-Marc seems to bring him to life through his stories. There are competing theories about how the port Cayot got its name, your guide goes on to say. It may have been named for one or more members of a rich local family, several of whom served as mayors of the city during the Middle Ages. On the other hand, Cayot means a small stone or pebble in the old and near-forgotten local dialect, Gascon. You ponder this a moment as your eyes roam again over the castle-like gate. The first explanation may well be the correct one, you suppose, but you prefer the other. The gate of the pebble looming over the bridge of stone. The names would certainly be fitting for these monuments hewn from timeless rock. Jean-Marc is speaking again, low and soft, yet somehow perfectly audible over the murmur of activity in this bustling town centre. Now he's telling you about the plaza that opens up on this side of the gate, and you slowly turn to face it. You see a lovely open area, paved with flat, interlocking stone tiles. The tiles are of the same warm hue as the gate behind you, and as the beautiful buildings that rise along the plaza. These graceful buildings feature arched doorways and windows, and they're adorned by picturesque balconies with wrought iron balustrades. Bright green, leafy trees cast dappled shade over portions of the plaza. A series of gleaming silver discs add a modern touch that strangely doesn't feel the least out of place. These discs appear to be some kind of art installation, clearly added in recent times. You hear a childish laugh bubble up as a toddler hops from one of these discs to the next, and the next, and the next. 
This is the Place du Palais, Jean-Marc tells you, the Palace Square. For centuries, the majestic residence of the Dukes of Aquitaine stood here. The name of that former palace catches your fancy when he mentions it. It was called the Ombriere Palace. Jean-Marc says this could translate to the Palace of the Shaded Way, or perhaps just the Shaded Palace. He says it's believed to have been named for the large trees that once stood nearby. The name seems to drag this once palace out of the murky past and make it real in your imagination. It stood here at one time where you stand now. The sun shone bright and hot above it as it shines on you now while the leaves of the trees cast their cooling shade. You can almost picture a young Eleanor of Aquitaine, dressed in a trailing gown, wandering dreamily in that shade before her wedding. Your guide explains that you'll now be visiting a part of the city it is closest to how it might have been in Eleanor's time. The streets are narrower and more winding, and they are paved with cobblestones. Some of them would hardly be wide enough to allow a car to pass. The names of the streets, too, evoke their distant origins. Many are named for the professions that were practiced along them. At a time when craftspeople and merchants tended to cluster in their own districts and passages. Take the charmingly named Street of the Three Candlemakers, for example. Another case in point is the street of the silversmiths, which Jean-Marc leads you down now. It is a long and narrow street, lined with little storefronts and cafes. You pass a tea house, where a tempting aroma of sweet tea and fresh bread wafts out. But for now, you continue on. There will be time for refreshment later. Some of the buildings have big archways with large roll-down doors in them. You assume these must cover car garages or delivery bays now. But you can imagine carriages driving through them long ago. 
These doors are painted bright teal, deep green, or royal blue, adding a colorful touch to the facades of the stone buildings. And now, you turn off this street into a narrow passageway to one side. The passage is so slender that you don't even think you could call it a street. Its ground slants on both sides towards its center to drain away rain or other water. This alleyway transports your mind to a time when cars weren't even dreamed of, a time when ordinary people flitted on foot between the residences and shops of the old city. You drift down the alley, turning and turning again until you're heading for an opening up ahead. Your guide explains that you'll now be visiting a medieval church named for St. Peter. You follow him out into a beautiful square. Here, the outdoor tables and chairs of a cafe face the church opposite. The chairs are all lined up neatly to face outwards, as they are at so many sidewalk cafes in this part of the world. The seats are arranged only on one side of each table, all looking upon the square, ready for people watching. And indeed, a number of cafe-goers sit there now. Most of them are casually observing the square and the people wandering through it. Tiny cups of espresso sit in front of them. One man is enjoying an extravagantly unfolded newspaper and a croissant. A curl of steam drifts up from a mug in front of him. You slowly walk around the church, admiring its ornate exterior. Colorful stained glass windows catch the late morning sun shining on them. Jean-Marc tells you that this church dates back to the later Middle Ages, but a sanctuary dedicated to St. Peter was on the site much earlier, as long ago as the 6th century. As you come around the side of the church, you notice a shop displaying a colorful jumble of wares in its window. A junk shop, you'd call it, and one of the best of its kind by the look of it. You glance at your guide, who nods, 
indicating he'll wait while you have a look around inside. You know that after this, Jean-Marc will steer you to the perfect place for lunch before you say goodbye to one another. It will not be goodbye for long, however. You'll see your intriguing guide again another day when you continue your explorations together. But first, the fascinations of the little store await. You step through the doorway into the slight coolness of the shop. There, you pause for your eyes to adjust. The interior is comparatively dim, at least after the bright sunlight that flooded the square behind you. As your vision adapts to the artificial light, your first impression is one of abundance, a profusion of textures, colors, and patterns surrounds you. Scarves and pennants from popular European football teams mingle with costume jewelry, tarnished silverware, and a pile of brass buttons. Antique knives and some kind of saber are displayed within a glass case on the wall. And boxes overflow with vintage comic books, yellowed with age. Even the fragrances are varied and plentiful. The dry scent of stationery emerges out of a box of black and white postcards from long ago. A faint hint of ancient tobacco wafts up nearby. Comes from a heap of pipes that vie for space with shaving brushes and tiny bottles in a miniature alcove. A dignified rather musty smell hangs around a still shiny fur coat which is thick and soft underneath your fingers as you brush them against it. And you catch a trace of lavender as you lean in to examine an intricately embroidered sachet pillow. The pillow is small and decorated with curly cues and minuscule flowers of lilac thread. You allow your hands to drift into the box of postcards and you separate them gently, one by one, marveling at the heft of the fine old paper they're printed on. You stop at an image of this very square. St. Peter's Church stands solidly in its middle, 
portrayed in black and white. Time has caused the black ink to fade into brown and the white of the heavy paper to turn yellow and then beige. It occurs to you that these formerly opposite colors are growing closer with age. After many years, both are now approaching a comfortable spectrum of earthy tones. You look at the year printed in old script in the corner, 1860. Despite the lack of color, the square in the image looks much as it does now. The main difference is that the people traipsing across it sport long skirts and top hats. Smoke curls above the heads of the patrons at the cafe tables that look quite like those you observed outside. You raise your head, feeling far away as you soak up all the sensations of this fabulous spot. You let the murmur of voices and the swish of customers in and out of the narrow doorway wash over you. The various aromas mingle and float in and out of your consciousness. You can almost feel the promise of discovery and awaiting treasures that surrounds you. You breathe easily, gently, as you tune into your senses. You let in every element of your experience, welcoming it, cherishing it. You treasure this place and this time, your guide and this shop. The living and breathing people surrounding you and those who came before the stories, the past, and the future, but above all, the warm and welcome present right here in Bordeaux.